Welcome to Create Your Sunshine. This is a space to inspire you to live a healthy, non-toxic and creative life. I'm your host, Reba. Together we will explore a wide range of wellness topics so that you can learn how to optimize your health, spark your creativity and truly live an abundant life. Each week, you can expect a guest interview chatting to me about conscious living, creative careers, women's health, how to save the planet, and so much more. Take what you need from each episode. Think of this podcast as your accountability method to take your life in both hands and fill it up with sunshine. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you will never miss this serious sunshine for your ears. Hello, thanks so much for being here. Before we begin, let's take a moment to check in with yourself today. How are you feeling in your body? Take a deep inhale and as you exhale, let any tension go. Roll the shoulders around. Give your neck a little massage if you're not driving. Now sit with your breath and think about what you will do today to create your sunshine. Hey Sunshine Tribe, I must tell you about Health Earth, the home of human optimization. They are an online health and wellness company born from the mission to heal the earth. Founder Jordan and myself believe that through the act of being healthy within ourselves first, we can do just that. You can shop a range of sustainable products and brands such as mushroom powders, herbal elixirs, and even my Create Your Sunshine botanical deodorant. Use the code SUNSHINE10 for a cheeky discount at healthearth.com.au. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-E-A-R-T-H dot com dot A-U. Talia is a holistic health nutritionist who specialises in women's health. Her services include supporting women in each phase of their life, from menstrual cycles, preconception plans, pregnancy support, fertility charting to postpartum support, hormone balancing and so much more. Talia is co-host of the podcast Living Hormoniously. Based in northern New South Wales, she runs women's retreats and workshops exploring the women's cycle. She also co-hosts a workshop called Nurturing the New Mother to support women through the postpartum phase. I personally attended this workshop when I was only three weeks postpartum with my new baby boy and it was my very first outing after birthing him. I truly felt so nurtured in this space. Talia is so passionate about the postpartum period that she has recently co-authored and released her first book, Nourishing Those Who Nurture. More than a food bible for new mothers. She is a mum of two gorgeous boys. Talia is so passionate about the postpartum period that she recently co-authored and released her first book, Nourishing Those Who Nurture, More Than a Food Bible for New Mothers. She is a mum of two gorgeous boys and she is here today to talk to you 
all about nourishing the cycles of life. (laughs) Okay, so welcome to the show, Talia. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to sit down and chat with you. Yay. Well, before we start today's episode, I wanted to ask you one thing. I want to ask you, what is one thing you will do today or have already done to create your sunshine? Mm, That's such a beautiful question. I actually feel like I've already done it. I'm pretty particular about doing something in the morning to create my sunshine. I love that. Um, So this morning we live at the base of Wollumbun or a lot of people know it as Mount Warning, which is a beautiful big mountain up here in northern New South Wales. And our property actually has a beautiful creek that runs through it. So Mm. morning I actually got down to the creek by myself and um, just jumped into the creek and had a little bit of, I usually do a little bit of breath work down there too. So I did a little bit of breath work and the creek's quite cold, so it's almost like a bit of a cold plunge in the mornings. And wow. I always feel so invigorated by that. And I always, am, like, I get back to the house and I'm like, all right, I'm ready. So, yeah, that was my creating sunshine this morning. And I just feel invigorated and ready once I've had that time to self. So I really try and do that every morning and it's a few minutes so it's not a a huge practice if I can squeeze in some yoga before that I will Uh, but yeah that's how I like to start my day just so I'm ready for life and children and motherhood and all of that. (laughs) That is amazing I I don't get that opportunity to plunge into water but I have so two times postpartum and it's just felt electric, like, mm. like no other feeling yes. besides maybe birth. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes you feel so alive. So that's really beautiful. Yeah, it is nice. So today I want to discuss how to understand and support our monthly cycle and what foods we can eat for each phase. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, today I want to discuss how to understand and support our monthly cycle and what foods we can eat for each phase. I also want to talk to you about simple things we can do through food to balance our hormones from young teen who has just started their period to late 20s and possibly the scenario of being on the pill for the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then we'll jump into postpartum and rediscovering and realigning with our period. Oh. And that's where both you and I are at in our cyc- cyclical journey right now. So Talia, I honestly couldn't think of a more perfect guest to kick off this podcast season because everything you are about is the main reason for me starting this podcast. I really want women to know more about how to support themselves every month and every day, clean and simple. So great. Yeah. So before we dive into those awesome topics, I want to ask you how you arrived at where you are today. Mm. in your career, in yourself, in your motherhood journey? I feel like it's been a big journey. So I'll encapsulate it in a few minutes. Um, So I'm originally from Melbourne. I was born in Melbourne uh, 30 plus years ago, around 36. And um, I feel really blessed that I was born into a household that was quite holistic. My mum is very natural in her approach to life and we grew up eating really healthy foods. It was interesting as a teenager, I was, I guess, in the 
the group I was around at that time, I actually was like the old one out a little bit or it was a bit weird when friends came to our house because we didn't have chips or lollies or any of those things, which I guess back then growing up is so normal for households to have. And at the time, I remember sometimes being like, oh, I wish we just had, you know, chips or lollies or whatever it was. But in retrospect, I'm so grateful for that upbringing because that is what led me on this path that I am now on. So I studied uh, nutrition and psychology at uni in Melbourne, graduated in 2008. And actually, when I graduated, I started doing some work more so in eating disorders, which It just didn't, and I guess that's why I did the nutrition and psych double degree because I thought I would do something in that area and it just didn't ignite me. I just just felt like something was missing and I did a bit of work also in other aspects of nutrition but I I just knew that there was something else for me and it actually wasn't until I went on my journey of healing my hormonal system I had dysmenorrhea through most of my cycling life, which is Mm. really painful periods. I had uh, a bout of amenorrhea, which is when you don't cycle for at least three months, there's absence of a cycle for at least three months. And mine went on for 12 to 18 months, probably. I had PCOS. I also had um, quite bad hormonal acne or acne in general. Mm. So I had a lot of things going on that were the root cause was, uh, well, you know, was was various things, but they were definitely coming from a hormonal aspect. So it wasn't until I went on my journey of healing that, that one, I recognized how much of this stuff is not known in, Mm. like, it's not talked about so much. I mean, definitely it's talked about more now, but when I was starting this journey, it wasn't so open. And I know you talk about that in your trailer, which I listened to, which was great. Yeah. How you kind of, it sounds like we went on a similar journey. You started healing your hormones and really. Yeah, I'm resonating a lot with what you're saying. When when I was little, it was like all the only snacks we had was maybe carrot carob coated licorice or something like that (laughs) or you know yeah I was definitely the odd one out bringing green smoothies to school and Mm -hmm. going ew what's that and so yeah I'm feeling your vibe and that's yeah similar journey and it I've found maybe in the only the past three years that this topic is really Mm. um come to the surface for a lot of women and it's been okay to talk about it and okay to talk about things that aren't really right in our bodies rather than keeping it hidden or trying to search for an answer Mm. quietly there's definitely a revolution like a period revolution which is really cool so I started I guess going through my healing aspect of it probably roughly 10 years ago And so I was in my late 20s, mid to late 20s at that stage. So, you know, I'd been cycling for, I think, about 12 years at this point. So it was quite a way into my cycling journey that I, you know, I found out we have four phases in our menstrual cycle and all these all these beautiful aspects of of how to support the phase and actually probably similar to you, which again, I heard in your trailer, the first book I ever read was The Woman Code by Alyssa Vitti and Mm. absolutely changed my life. She, amazing author. I've got goosebumps. I love her work. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so that's what led me into where I am now. So I do specialise in women's health now um, in all aspects of women's health, starting from preconception to pregnancy, postpartum, perimenopause, menstrual cycles, and I am the proud mother of two beautiful boys, which has been definitely, you know, that's my life purpose. I, so my two boys, they come number one. Um, oh, that made me emotional. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, beautiful. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of a small encapsulation of how I am, where I am now. And now, obviously, I'm in northern New South Wales, and that's how you and I met. We're both in this beautiful place in the world and yeah where I am recording right now I can look over and actually see Mount Warning so we're we're a little bit connected in that way too (laughs) okay so so many women that I have openly spoken to about their period cycles didn't even know that there were four different phases Mm. can you briefly explain to us about these four different phases of our monthly cycle and what foods we can incorporate into our lifestyles to support each phase yeah absolutely so for all those listening, I'm sure there's some listening right now that are like, what? There's four phases. And mm. I run workshops under um, Living Harmoniously, which I do with a beautiful friend of mine. And I think nearly every time we do a workshop, obviously we start with the four phases. And I would say 90% of the women in every workshop have no idea that there's four phases of the cycle. So if that's you right wow. now, yeah, <laughs> that's you right now, you know, that's okay because this yep. is never taught to us. So the four phases of the cycle are follicular, ovulation, luteal, and menstruation. And that is basically the, the way they, they go, follicular, ovulation, luteal, menstruation. So the follicular is the beginning of the cycle. And this is once we have finished bleeding. So the first day after we finish bleeding is the start of our follicular phase. And that goes through to ovulation. So follicular phase is roughly seven to 10 days, but don't get caught on the numbers at all because everyone's cycle is Mm. different. You know, this whole 28 days cycle is an approximate, but a healthy cycle can actually range anywhere from 24 to 34 days and is very different for every woman. So your follicular is around seven to 10 days. And then we go into the ovulation phase, which generally is recognized by cervical mucus and also obviously the fact that we release an egg. Um, So that's around three to four days, that phase. And as soon as uh, the ovulation phase finishes, we go into our luteal phase. And our luteal phase is around 10 to 14 days. And then we have our menstruation phase and the menstruation phase is usually three to seven days. So that's the encapsulation of, yeah, the four phases of a menstrual cycle. Yeah, awesome. And I like the way that some people have the approach of thinking of the four seasons. Mm. You've got your spring, would you say? Yes. Yep, spring, then your summer, then your autumn, then your winter. It is, that's a really beautiful way to look at them, specifically when we talk about foods. Mm. I love thinking of them in those phases. So there's certain nutrients that you can eat for each phase, uh, but 
I don't like going that particular because I Mm -hmm. think as long as we are having a really nutrient, we should be having really a nutrient dense diet throughout all our phases. And I actually look more so at the way we are cooking during each phase Yes, in relation to those seasons, which you've just talked about. So to start off with follicular, so that's our spring season. It's like the bear coming out of the cave, which after you've menstruated, that's if, as long as you have rested, <laughs> that's actually how we should be feeling. We should be feeling really invigorated and rejuvenated and, you know, you are like that bear coming out of the cave. Um, so in the spring season, our digestive fire is, so for the follicular and the ovulation, the spring and summer, our digestive fire is actually burning a lot more than what it is in the other two phases so we may depending on our constitution as individuals diet is always relative to our individual constitution but if we've got a pretty good digestive system we may feel like more lighter cooking during this time so we may feel like a little bit of raw or maybe steamed food during this time um Yeah, so I like to think of like, you know, in the spring, summer, maybe the odd smoothie, some salads, maybe some steamed greens, maybe some steamed fish. All those foods are really beautiful during those two phases. As a whole, I think it's good to mention with the menstrual cycle, a few things that are really crucial in relation to food is fat, number one, and you know, we've had so many years of this kind of fat-free diet, mm. which is still ingrained in some people I see, some of the clients I see and just people in general are still, you know, it was something that I think was more in the 80s where this whole fat-free diet came in and it was really detrimental to our menstrual cycle because of many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is that um the storage and production of hormones occurs with fat tissue. So we really need good fats in a- to enable us to actually ovulate and therefore menstruate and create those beautiful yep. hormones. So when you're talking about, and there is, I wish they were segmented in another way because I don't really like the good, bad conversation. Yeah. But for lack of better words, there's you've got your good fats and your bad fats. So when we're yep. talking about fats, um, it's your good fats, so things like avocados, nuts, seeds, olive oil, ghee, coconut oil, fatty fish, things like wild-caught salmon. All those things are really beautiful and nourishing for our menstrual cycle. Um, and it is also important to have a good amount of carbohydrates. So there's two specific hormones, our follicle-stimulating hormone and our luteinizing hormone, which both of those hormones are part of the ovulation cycle so without without those hormones we wouldn't ovulate and those hormones actually need carbohydrates so the and when we're talking about carbohydrates again there is that kind of section of like good carbs bad carbs um, mm. so we're talking about things like sweet potato you know maybe some gluten-free pasta some rice some quinoa um, there's so many vegetables that contain really good carbohydrates. So it's important to be getting, you know, a small amount of carbohydrates in your day as well and good sources of protein. So all those things are really important just for the menstrual cycle as a whole. Um, but, yeah, let's chat. Sorry, I just kind of steered <laughs> like, oh, to just Oh, that's great. Yeah, chat about those things as a whole. So we've talked about the follicular and ovulatory. I guess one thing to note with those two before I finish that section is, 
The one thing I do is really important, particularly in relation to cervical mucus and just overall health is ensuring we're hydrated. So Mm. if you're someone that notices that your cervical mucus is a little bit scanty or not as nourishing as what you expected it to be. So when we reach that ovulation, our cervical mucus should be really, it's almost like an egg white consistency. Um, And the cervical mucus plays a really important role in nourishing the sperm and also uh, leading the sperm to the egg. So particularly if we're thinking about our cycle in relation to conception, we want to ensure we've got really healthy cervical mucus. So during though the follicular slash ovulation phase, and again, like in the season, spring and summer, we want to ensure that we're really hydrating ourselves through through water. And even if you're not thinking of conceiving, it's still a really integral part of your overall health Mm -hmm. to, and it's a great way to check in with your body's health as well. If you are a woman, um, rather than disregarding it and thinking, oh, I'll, I'll fix it down the track when I want to have a baby. Yes. It's the now that you need to focus on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then we go into the luteal phase. So the way that we can, if a lot of women, well, not a lot, some women actually feel when they ovulate, they can feel the release of the egg. So once you've felt the release of that egg, you then slip into your luteal phase. For other women, they might feel your temperature slightly decreases, um, sorry, increases, during the luteal phase so some women feel that slight increase of temperature and also the cervical mucus generally dries up so they're like the three physiological signs that we're going into our luteal phase if you do charting with uh, basal body temperature you'll know exactly where you are but if you're not doing that type of charting or you haven't been taught how to um, they're like the three three signs that you may know that you're slipping into the luteal phase and so in the luteal phase that's like you said earlier that's our autumn phase And a digestive fire is slightly weakened during that phase. So I think of that phase in terms of food groups, in terms of roasting, in terms of cooking, sorry, in terms of roasting. So let's say, for instance, we'll use beetroot because beetroot is an amazing food for the health of the liver and it's also blood building. So it's a really great uh, nourishing food for the menstrual cycle. So when we're talking about our follicular and ovulation phases, we might grate some beetroot into a salad. We might have beetroot sauerkraut. uh, We might make a beetroot shot. But then once we go into that luteal phase, it's more the longer cooking method. So we're looking at probably roasting some beetroot in mm. in the oven, maybe sprinkling some turmeric on there so it's a bit more anti-inflammatory. And, yeah, yeah it's a delicious. We're actually in our luteal phase because of what's going on with the hormones there. Generally, women will find that they actually crave sugar a little bit more during that time. So having the roasting of the food too, particularly your carrots, your beets, your sweet potatoes, actually going to enrich those sugars in there. So actually satisfy that sugar craving that you might have without deviating to something like sugar in general, which Mm -hmm. is going to cause inflammation in the system. Um, I also recommend during this phase because the body is basically gearing up for their endometrial lining to start shedding. So it's all about cleansing and it's about everything kind of moving downwards so anti-inflammatory eating is really great during this time so when I think of that I mainly think of what things do I cut out which again like you mentioned you know all this Mm -hmm. stuff is just creating better health in our body so the three biggest inflammation or inflammatory foods that we see in the western world are fried foods sugar 
and your hydrogenated oils, so things such as cotton, rapeseed, canola, sunflower, all those types of things cause inflammation in the system. There's other mm. things, but they're kind of the three major ones. Um, and also the health of the uh, gut is really important in relation to the menstrual cycle as a whole, but particularly in this phase because the the gut and the liver both help with the detoxification of estrogen, which is happening during this time. So that's your that's the encompass of the, the luteal phase. Um, and then we go to the menstruation phase. So this is the bleeding phase. And what I think of in this phase is basically nutrient density. It's very similar. And this is our winter phase. It's like I think of the menstruation phase as a, a mini postpartum phase, actually. So it's all about how can we get like really nutrient-dense foods because we're also losing a lot when we bleed as well, particularly our iron and our zinc. So it, and it's, it's the longer cooking or well, the longest form of cooking in relation to our menstruation phase. And think about winter, like what kind of things do we love in winter? It's more your soups, your stews, your broths, your slow mm. cookers, all those things that don't require much digestive fire but also the nutrients in them are assimilated really easily. So in terms of the beetroot, which we've kind of gone through in the other phases, this would be beetroot soup, you know, adding beetroot to yeah. the soups or adding it into the slow cooker as a, as a stew. Yum. Hmm. That sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how can we tell that there's an imbalance in the body with checking in on signs that our body's telling us through the phases mm -hmm. and what's something we can do to help bring our body back to balance through using holistic nutrition? Mm -hmm. I think that's one, as women, a thing that we are so blessed with is our menstrual cycle because it gives us our monthly health report card. So every month, if we cycle every month, every month is showing us what's going on in our system. So a healthy period is basically doesn't have symptoms. So all these symptoms mm. that it, we have so commonly attributed to periods such as painful cycles and are showing us actually that there's something underlying. Those, yeah. In terms of the pain, we should maybe experience 30 to 60 minutes of light cramping at the start when the uterine starts to contract and the lining is shedding. But we shouldn't be experiencing, you know, day-long uh, really painful periods or we shouldn't be experiencing spotting, we shouldn't be experiencing clotting, we shouldn't be experiencing dark blood at the start or dark blood at the end. All these things are showing us that there's something underlying. And it could be, you know, it's not... A reason to freak out and be like oh my god what's going on it's actually a really beautiful gift and it could be something really simple maybe mm. it's needed to tweak something in terms of your nutrition maybe you need to tweak something in terms of your stress maybe you need to tweak something in terms of uh, energy output there's many different areas and i think that's another blessing of the menstrual cycle as well is the endocrine system is a full body system. So it starts up in your pineal gland right at the very top and it goes all the way down to the gonads or the, um, the yoni. So it's a full body system. So if there's anything misaligned in the system, then correcting those things is going to have a beneficial effect on your menstrual cycle. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a gorgeous way to just check in and not freak out yeah. and not know that, 
you're abnormal or anything if you are experiencing cramps or Mm -hmm. any of the signs, but to take the time, those three to seven days, whatever you experience, to really look back at your month and see what you can improve for the next month. Absolutely. Beautiful. Okay, let's move on to um, pregnancy. So most women have the ability if they want to, to one day experience, if not already, the gift of pregnancy. Can you clarify how important food choices are during pregnancy, meaning how careful do we really need to be about certain foods? So we're told to avoid things like soft cheeses, raw fish, chili, leftovers. It's a very funny street to walk through. Mm -hmm. Can you shed some light on that? I'm actually so glad we're talking about this because it's not something that is super commonly talked about and I think it's really important. So I actually remember when I was pregnant with Luca, my midwife giving me, and I had two beautiful home births and I have had the amazing midwife for both of them, Mm. but her giving me that list of foods and I just going through it and I was like, oh, my gosh. I remember hummus being on it and I was like, hummus? How is hummus on this list? (laughs) So I guess when we're talking about pregnancy I mean food is obviously extremely important and that's why I'm really I'm a huge what's the word like I guess I promote the preconception phase uh, in terms of trying to get all those nutrients in particularly because that first trimester a lot of us are feeling probably a bit shabby and maybe not able to be eating all those deliciously nutrient dense foods in that phase So I like to go into pregnancy having some kind of template in terms of what we've already what we've already put in our system um, in terms of our health. But pregnancy in general, obviously, it's really important to ensure that we're eating a really nutrient dense diet because not only are we feeding ourselves, we're also feeding our beautiful baby. Yeah. And in relation to all of those things, we can split them up. So maybe we'll split them like a few of the really big ones up. So I guess the first one that comes to mind is the soft cheeses. Mm. And the reason behind this is because uh, the soft cheeses have a foodborne bacteria in them that um, that we want to avoid, listeria. So we want to avoid that in relation to pregnancy because it can cause birth defects. The thing with that recommendation is that it doesn't take into account pasteurisation. And in Australia and New Zealand, we follow the Food Standards Australia New Zealand, which is a pretty strict board in terms of what kind of food is available on the shelf. And I'm not going to say that you're never going to find it, but I think it would be pretty rare that you would find a cheese on the shelf that isn't pasteurised. And they actually all have it written on them. So once something has been pasteurised, it goes above 70 degrees and those foodborne bacterias are actually not present anymore. Mm. Uh, So soft cheeses, I went nuts for soft cheeses both (laughs) my pregnancy and I actually really crave cheese and probably due to the beautiful uh, healthy fats that are in cheese that are really, really important for yourself and for baby. So that's the first one. The second one that we see a lot of is the runny eggs. Mm. And this one is a... I guess a little bit trickier. It's not as kind of cut as the soft cheeses. But with the runny eggs, um, it's in relation to salmonella, which, again, is a bacteria that can cause issues. So with the runny eggs, it's pretty 
I guess it's not very common. I think it's about one in 20,000 um, that may contain salmonella. And actually, when we talk about organic or pasture raised, that number actually decreases sevenfold. So it's a really small chance that that's actually going to happen. So my recommendation here is that obviously, I mean, at at any time of life, I would be eating that way and recommending that for my clients. But particularly in pregnancy, I guess we can refine a little bit. So if you're not already eating organic or pasture-raised eggs, maybe during your pregnancy, this is the time to actually be eating that way. And if you're, if you feel comfortable consuming, you know, poached eggs at home, great. But if you're going to be eating eggs out, I probably would be opting for them to be cooked because you don't know where those eggs are coming from when you're eating eggs out unless you know the chef or the cafe really well. Yeah. Um, and then in relation, I think you mentioned leftovers. So I guess yeah, I guess in pregnancy, again, it's that, it's that refinement. So those things that, particularly if we're looking at salad bars and, and places like that, we don't know how long those things have been sitting on the shelf. So there is a chance that they have or do contain bacteria unless you know the cafe and you know that they're making that salad really fresh and you're getting there kind of in the morning and they're storing it right, I probably would avoid it. But if it's mm. at home and I've made a salad, you know, one night and I've got leftovers and I've gone straight into the fridge, then I would have no problem with, with eat, consuming that the next day. So I guess it's just looking at food hygiene in general, but maybe just being a little bit more refined in it during our pregnancy. Yeah, that I, I remember receiving that list as well and being quite shocked at some things on there and just going, oh, my gosh, this is so confusing. Mm. And the whole, I think if I were to have another pregnancy, I'd definitely eat differently. Mm. Even though I ate pretty healthy during this, my first pregnancy, it was, I remember being confused most of the time of yeah. going, Oh, I don't think I can eat that. Should I eat that? Oh, yes. I'll just I'll just do it and hopefully nothing <laughs> yeah. comes of it. But and I think yeah, it puts a lot of anxiety and pressure on totally the woman around around food choices. Which during this time, you know, it's we really shouldn't be having that. And also, that list is quite extensive. And I know we haven't covered it all, but I think we've covered some of the major ones. But Mm. you know then you see women that are just buying more packaged things or maybe going to mcdonald's because they're like okay i know that none of those things are there and they're like i can't eat a salad and it's like no no you can eat a salad you can eat those yeah. things it's just it's just knowing where these things come from and i think something's just come to mind that um i think would be great to chat about too is the vitamin a misconception mm. because the two foods that i actually think are really incredible in relation to pregnancy and preconception and postpartum if you do consume animal products are actually eggs and organ meats like liver pate is probably one of the most common ones we see mm. and obviously we've chatted about eggs um but in relation to vitamin a there is this and i actually had a friend who's pregnant at the moment and she's consuming organ meats because i recommended her to do so and she actually came to me the other day and she's like oh, i just read about the vitamin a and organ meats and i shouldn't be consuming those during pregnancy and i was like too much of that sorry and i was like no no that's again one of those myths so there is an issue with vitamin a in pregnancy in relation to uh, malformation of of the fetus but it is in relation to synthetic vitamin A. So we're talking about supplementation. 
So interestingly, for some reason, and I don't know why, uh, that has then also been referred to foods that are high in vitamin A. And organ meat is one of the foods that is high in vitamin A. But when we look at all the studies, they're all talking about the synthetic form of vitamin A. So, and liver is just so nutrient dense. It's really high in iron, which is really important in pregnancy. And it's also a really good, um, it's a really good source of dietary folate, which again is really important in pregnancy. So my recommendation with organ meats, if people are uh, consuming them capsulated, they have the recommended serving on the capsules. But if you're consuming liver pate, then I say, look, on a piece of toast, two pieces of toast spread with liver pate a day is totally fine. There's no need to Mm. fear something that is so amazingly nutrient dense. It actually is so beneficial for you. Absolutely. And think of our ancestors, you know, they would have consumed nutrient dense food like that. And we live to tell the tale. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So now we've had the baby, we're breastfeeding mamas, we're using a lot of energy, we are giving all our nutrients to our baby and we are hungry all the time, we need lots of calories and I'm sorry but delicious croissants are not enough to sustain us. So talk to me about postpartum nutrition and how others can support a postpartum mama. Yeah, so this is something you know that I'm very passionate about Um, Mm. and I, you know, I've been on two postpartum journeys now and I thought I was prepared the first time around, but actually, I mean, I was prepared somewhat, but once you're in it, you're like, whoa, this is actually quite big. And it really is actually the time that we're, particularly if if we're breastfeeding, it is the time that you actually are feeding too. That isn't happening so much in pregnancy, although it is slightly, but if you're breastfeeding, this is really the time that you are feeding too. So again, like we spoke about with the menstrual phase, I like to think of postpartum as an extended uh, menstruation or extended bleeding phase. So as an extended winter. So what type of things are we eating in winter? We're eating really nutrient dense foods that are easy to digest. So lots of soups, stews, broths, all those things that are going to pack a really amazing nutrient-dense punch, the organ meats. Um, and I guess you've got to think relative to where you are as well. So like we said, we're both yeah. in New South Wales. It's a bit subtropical. You might not, you might be going into your postpartum in summer and maybe you're not feeling like having cooked foods all the time but even if you can have a little bit of cooked and then if you are consuming maybe raw foods just allowing them to get to room temperature so they're not you're not consuming them straight out of the fridge because we during this postpartum time and I guess it's important to mention how long that is and that can vary for women particularly if you are breastfeeding it's generally lengthened but that phase can last years it doesn't necessarily it definitely is not the first six weeks of course there is an emphasis on the first six weeks but dependent on the woman and what has happened in her preconception her pregnancy her hormonal life uh that that phase can last years so we want to be kind of nurturing it as much as possible during those first few weeks and months so that it it isn't a really prolonged phase for us. And, yeah, one of the key elements of that is containing some warmth in the system. So that helps to 
nourish, nurture, and just allow the body to repair. It doesn't matter what kind of birth you've had, there's going to be repair occurring in the body and the organs all moving back into their places. And the best way to do that is to keep the system warm. So that's why there's such an emphasis on warming foods during this time. Mm, Beautiful. And we're going to jump back into a bit more of this information later on when we talk about your gorgeous book as well. Yeah. (laughs) But right now I want to tell, I want you to tell us about a day in the life of Lunar Holistic Nutrition. I want to know what meals you have, what mum duties you have, creative endeavours, health hacks, anything else you want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot to encapsulate. So I'll try. <laughs> I'll try to remember most of it. I definitely still have like slight baby brain, even though yeah. my littlest is one. I'm, you know, I, I know they say that that comes back at six months postpartum. I'm like, does it really? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, so a life, oh, a day in the life of me. So like we said at the very start, I guess I'm quite particular about my mornings if I can be and I try and get something in in the morning that is nourishing for me because I do find that then that creates more space in my day and I'm just I'm a better mum I'm a better person if I've allowed that time so I do try and get up before my boys which doesn't always happen and even if it doesn't I still will do something for like let's say the first 30 minutes of the day. So generally what that looks like if the boys aren't up is some form of movement. Most likely yoga is probably my my dominant movement. But this morning I had a bit more energy. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to go for a little jog. But that doesn't always happen. Um, <laughs> and and then I have the, the cold plunge, which takes a few minutes. So I, so I try and do something for self. And if the boys are awake, then I sometimes will pop on a little Pilates or a little yoga thing on the on the TV and I'll do that while they're just clambering all over me. But I just find that that time in the morning is really important and I actually always start, well, should I say always? Not always. I, I think morning routines shift so much as you would probably know once you have children, what you did pre-children. It's like, yeah, I did this, 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 and, you know, yeah. but once you have children, every day is different, which is really beautiful. I think it it allows for balance and it allows for a lot of letting go. Yeah. Um. So I do try and have, and I do have it most mornings, a chai, and I'm actually sipping on my chai still this morning. I'm on my, I'm on my second cup of chai. So, um. <laughs> and I, I, I love the chai because it's really warming, which I find really beautiful for the digestive system. I add in a bit of turmeric into it as a bit of an anti-inflammatory hit, which I think is really important for the postpartum phase and pregnancy phase. Um, and I do add some collagen and I usually add a little bit of medicinal mushrooms. So it sounds like a bit, but that's like my really nourishing morning drink. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then the day really, so I'm a full-time mama, number one. So my boys aren't in any type of care, but they do have, I have beautiful friends and my parents here who help support me when I'm working, but yeah, so the day, every day is different uh, in terms of what what is going on. But I do find with the boys the best thing to do is actually just to get out in nature. So we try and get out in nature as much as humanly possible. So we'll have our breakfast and I eat very similar to them. So at the moment some of our breakfasts or our kind of rotation of breakfast at the moment, gluten-free toast is one of them if we don't have much time. 
And I usually try and pack that with either I make a Vegemite, which is a delicious combination of tahini, uh, miso and olive oil. Yum. I'm going to make that. I'll give you the recipe. It's really Mm -hmm. good. Uh, And so we either have that or we might have avocado or we have liver pate. And I generally will put hemp seeds or or some kelp powder or something on it. So even though it's your gluten-free toast, it actually is quite nutrient-dense with its toppings. Then we're usually outside doing some form of, of, I guess, I get the boys as naked as possible when when we can as well. So we're getting a good source of vitamin D and grounding. So we'll either get out in our garden or if we can, we pop to the beach at the moment with all this glorious weather. Mm-hmm. And usually lunchtime, so my snacks during the day, are usually I, I love activated nuts and fruits and vegetables and sometimes crackers with avocado or with hummus or something like that. Um, but my lunch and my dinners are very similar to my little bambinos too. So it's just so much easier as a mum. I mean, that is definitely a mum hack to try yeah. and create the same food for the whole family, which I have to admit has been a little bit tricky with my three and a half year old because again, for lack of a better word, he's a bit of a fussy eater. Which, as a nutritionist, I never thought I would have a really fussy eater. And I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh. Um, but he is. Has that has that become a recent occurrence or has he always been like that? I would say more so when I guess he could start saying no. So more so around that 18-month mark. So it's definitely mm-hmm. been a couple of years in the making. And, look, the foods he does eat are really healthy, but in terms of trying new things and um, certain ways of cooking his food, he can be he can attest to. And I think it actually for him stems from he had a lot of intolerances as a little bubba, which thankfully my second one doesn't. So, you know, he couldn't, he was really struggled with dairy, eggs, soy, and a few other bits and pieces. So he was pretty limited in what oh, in gluten. So he was pretty limited in what he had. Now we've, we've done a couple of years of gut healing and he can actually consume those foods. Oh, and egg was a big one for him too. He can actually consume those foods, but I think because his diet was limited, he's kind of used to that. So, I mean, and I'm sure it's it's a bit of the toddler, you know, some yeah. are amazing <laughs> and some just, yeah, they're a little bit pickier than others. So, yeah, so I, I do try and have us all eating the same food, but that doesn't always happen with my three-and-a-half-year-old. So lunchtimes generally at the moment are looking like uh, there's these really amazing 30% organ meat sausages that we get from a local organic butcher so we might have that with a little bit of sauerkraut um sometimes we do eggy so we do like uh, an egg omelet with some greens in there and I do try and always pack something in there that with like some some nutrient dense punch which is really easily accessible from the cupboard so with my egg again there might be some hemp seeds or a little bit of kelp powder in there so something that's going to give them those extra nutrients that are needed that I might be able to kind of slip in there without them knowing. Um, And then dinners are usually some form of protein. So maybe like some wild salmon or some, um, some meat, often slow cooking during this time. And I'm still doing the slow cooking, even though I'm, I'm one year in, I do do a lot of slow cooking 
And I find even for my little one who's a year old, that that kind of cooking is really great for them as well because, like we mentioned earlier, it's really easy to digest that type of food that's had the longer cooking methods. So, you know, with the little guts, there's, you know, once you start food with them, it's all new to them. Their digestive systems are still developing for those first few years. So that slow cooking is really great for them as well. So, yeah, that's kind of what my my day looks like in terms of food. And, again, in the afternoon we'll try and get outside. I am really lucky to have a beautiful veggie garden happening at the moment. So Mm. that's generally our afternoon thing. We go pick caterpillars off the veggie garden, the boys. (laughs) The boys get to have some of the snow peas and beans at the moment, which they love. And I really love that they can see where their food is coming from too rather than I mean, we're really lucky with the beautiful farmers markets we have here, but actually seeing their food grow, I think, is really amazing for them. Some a greater understanding of how it got to their plate. Yeah. That's beautiful, Talia. Okay, I have five quick questions for you. Are mm-hmm. you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, what are your top five pantry staples? Oh, can I talk in fridge too? Or are we talking just dry yeah, items? Yeah, okay, yeah. great. Um, eggs, pate. Coconut oil, oats, quinoa. Awesome. <laughs> what is one health ritual that you can't live without? And I think I know maybe what it is. Is this my chai? <laughs> oh, I was going to say your deep water plunge. <laughs> I would love, there's a few things there. I would, yeah, I would say either my chai or my morning movement. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. What is one thing in our home and lifestyle that we can ditch to lead a more non-toxic life? Mm, Love this. So to try and do this really quickly, I would definitely say deodorant because that's something that uh, people are using every single day, men, women, and sometimes a couple of times a day. And you make an absolutely incredible deodorant, which I am currently wearing. And I think (laughs) out of all the kind of skincare things, that would be my first thing to ditch. Awesome. I I agree 100%. (laughs) What is one thing we can do today to spark our creativity? Mm, I like that. I think connecting more with nature. Yeah. What is one thing we can do today to benefit the future for our children's sake? Mm, I love that. I think presence, being present mm. with our children because so much in this day and age you see so many other things going on in the lives of mothers which is completely understandable and phones and noise and all these types of things and I think the the best thing we can do for our little ones is be present with them. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about your beautiful book you've recently released. It's titled Nourishing Those Who Nurture More Than a Food Bible for New Mothers. Like, I really wish I had this book prior to having my baby. There is so much goodness in your book that makes the postpartum period a smooth transition. And my favourite part about the book is that it's built to share with your support network, with your tribe to hold you in this raw time of a woman's life. And I truly believe every mama on the planet, new or seasoned, will benefit from this book. I've actually, I don't have my copy on me today because I've already passed it on to a mama friend. So I can't even flick through with you but I want you to tell me why you needed to birth this book and what the book is all about. Mm, I love that I'm so I just love hearing that you've passed that on too because you're the book is very newly birthed just a couple of months and I think you're the first person that I've actually heard say 
I've just passed that on. Again, I'm getting emotional. Oh, this is, this is <laughs> nice. Um, and I agree. I wish that I had this book leading into my postpartum with my first. So this book was, it's been a, a big journey, but an amazing journey that has been very much in flow, which for me, whenever things are in flow, I know that they're meant to be. So I co-authored this book with a beautiful friend of mine, Caitlin, who is a doula, kinesiologist, woman's shamanic worker. She's incredible. And I think we started, so now it's probably just over two years ago, we started uh, creating this book. And it came from, for me, I think there's a lack of support in this area. Again, similar to, I guess, the period revolution, there's definitely more awareness around this area now. And I think there's more awareness from almost like an emergency state where we're recognising how depleted women were getting during this time or even post this time and realising that it's stemming from this postpartum period. So, yeah, I was I was running, which is actually kind of where we really connected. I had met you previously in the cafe, um, <laughs> but we really connected at the. I think was, that was this year, wasn't it? That that we ran that it was this year. And yeah. it was actually the only one we were able to run this year. So I run workshops with a beautiful friend and yoga teacher of mine, Esther from Free to Be Yoga, um, and we run workshops called Nurturing the New Mother. And we've been running these for a few years now and it's they're always so beautiful and I love them. And we were running these workshops and at the end a lot of mums were kind of saying, oh, what recipes can I do and how can I support this? And I really felt like there was a lack of actual support tools in terms of references, in terms of just um, physical references and so I guess just recognising that lack was where the kind of uh, fire in me was like, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to create mm. this book um, to be able to to support women. And initially it actually started as a cookbook. So the I guess probably half of it, probably maybe slightly more, is recipes. So there's there's 70-plus recipes in it. And that is how it started. But then as it evolved over the couple of years, Caitlin and I, we started just putting little little informatory bits, informatory, I'm not sure that's a word. <laughs> we'll use that yeah. um, at the start. So, and that just extended. So I guess the first third of the book is more information-based. So it's all about, it, we talk a little bit about pregnancy in there. We talk about C-section healing. We talk about um, postpartum sits baths. We talk about baby loss we talk about preparing your partners preparing your children if you have them so there's so many elements to that which I actually haven't seen in postpartum books before so I guess we're kind of I mean I'm sure we've missed things of course we have but Mm. I guess we tried to encapsulate this whole period in terms of wellness in in you know a 200 page book so we've done yeah we can in that and we really hope that this book is a tool for pregnant and birthing mamas and mamas to be and that this book is passed around as yeah as like a bible as a bible for this beautiful dynamic phase of life absolutely and I think that's exactly why the birth needed 
uh, why the book needed to be birthed. It's for mamas, seasoned mamas, new mamas, anyone who wants to support a postpartum woman. Yeah. So talk to me about book launch, where we can buy your book, where we can attend your workshops, your services, and anything else you'd like to share. Yeah, thanks, honey. So the book you can purchase on our website at present, and there are a few uh, people or practitioners that have the book that you might pop in somewhere and see it, but our website is www.nourishingthosewhonurture.com. We have a book launch happening, but I can't actually give you a date on that because of everything that's going on in Australia at the moment. That's been a little bit tricky and we've had to postpone that a couple of times. So we're really hoping for January slash February next year. And that will be happening at the beautiful Knox & Co in Mwoolumba. So follow us on Instagram at Nourishing Those Who Nurture and we'll definitely be posting when we have an exact date for that. And you can follow my work at Lunar Holistic Nutrition on Instagram. And so I run clinic via Zoom. I'm actually in clinic today. And, yeah, and I also do workshops, which, again, have been a little bit on halt this year, but hopefully next year we'll be kicking back into those workshops because I just love, you know, clinic is great and I love it, but I also love just being in those workshops of women and there's usually anywhere between five to 20 women in those workshops and I learn a lot through those workshops too. I share the knowledge I have and I learn a lot through the sharing of all the women in those workshops, so I love that space. Absolutely. And I love that we have connected and I love that there is this community in the Northern Rivers of beautiful mamas. But if you're not in the Northern Rivers, how can my listeners support you today? That's really sweet. I think, yeah, just jumping on to social media, jumping onto Instagram, um, connecting with me through there, saying hi, just following and seeing all the things I put on and my Lunar Holistic Instagram actually connects you to all the other little bits and bobs I have happening too. But yeah, that would be so lovely. Yeah. And I will um, personally post on my Create Your Sunshine Instagram when the book launch is happening so people can find out more there too. Amazing. And I hope you come. (laughs) I will. I'll be there. (laughs) Thank you so much for this conversation, Talia. It's been a dream. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for having Um, me. I, you know, I remember you saying when you were thinking of this idea and I was like, oh, this is going to be such an awesome podcast. And I know it is. And I know you're going to be really amazing uh, in this space. So I'm so excited to hear the episodes that you create during this. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. And Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode with Talia. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in. And if any of this resonates with you, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you can be the first to know when I release a new episode. I would also love to personally invite you to join the Sunshine Tribe by signing up to my newsletter via my website or check me out on Instagram at createyoursunshine underscore where you will find all sorts of colourful inspiration.